Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, BC, we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. Join me. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 45 in the first eight verses. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and yet there are five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me, he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, well, we are coming toward the end of a series uh, that if you're just joining us today, we're calling it Through the Storm. And the very simple concept here is that life has many moments of joy when you're sailing the boat of your life and everything is sunny and calm and it's great, but so often we sail into storms. We can't or go around them, we can't avoid them, we can't wish them away. All we can simply do is go through them. And so the whole point of this series is to help to equip you on how you can go through the storm. And so today what I want to do is think very big picture, like really big picture, but also very practical into the smallest, tiniest details of our lives as we consider just broadly how life works. How does life work? How does the universe work? Okay, so here's what I mean by that. Some people would say that life works, the universe works on the basis of fate. Fate is an impersonal force, it's a power, and it causes all things to come to pass. And so if you are going through a storm, that is what fate has willed. It's just inevitable. You can't do anything about it. Fate has willed it, and the best you can do is hope that your fate will change in the next season of life. Fate, of course, though, is impersonal. Fate is cold. Fate does not care. Fate is just a power, an impersonal power that guides your life. And so the best you can do is accept your fate and go through the storm. But of course, other people say, no, no, there's not, the universe does not work on fate. The universe is the result of kind of a random chance accident. It's incredible that we are here, but chance is really what the universe is about. And so if you're going through a storm, the best you can do in this moment is say, I've hit a really bad stretch of luck. I'm really unlucky uh, for what I'm going through right now. And hopefully, maybe I can do some things to change my luck. But if I can't, the best I can do is hope that my luck will change 
and some new chance occurrence will come into my life. Of course, still others would say, no, it's not really fate, it's not really chance. There are powers, there are higher powers. And so here on the West Coast, for instance, a lot of people would be doing things like checking their horoscopes for guidance. Uh, People do tarot card readings, crystals, all of this kind of what we call new age thinking. But again, very impersonal. If you're in a storm, are we really to believe that flaming balls of gas millions or billions of light years away are somehow going to guide my romantic decisions for tomorrow or my job decisions for tomorrow. Hard to think how stars and planets and these kind of things shape us. How are we to understand that when we go through a storm? Of course, a version of this, a very popular one now in our culture that it's probably about 15 years old now is what we call the law of attraction. The famous book called The Secret and the movie The Secret, the documentary, really popularized this. And the idea here is that if you put out negative thoughts to the universe, the way the universe works is, you will attract negative things to yourself. If you put out positive thoughts to the universe, the way the universe works is the positive things will come into your life. There's a seed of truth in there because if you're always thinking negatively, of course, you can create self-fulfilling prophecies in the way that you kind of live your life. So there's a certain grain of truth, but that's not what that concept is. That concept is that negative thoughts actually create vibrations in the universe and it attracts others like vibrations so that you attract negative or positive things. And so in that case, you brought the storm into your life. You created it because you thought negative thoughts, and so you brought this upon yourself. And so now the best you can do is try to change your thinking and hope that you can attract positive things. So that's how some people say the universe works. But finally, and probably most commonly, most people would say, you shape your own destiny. You are in control of your life. It's not stars or fate or chance. You control it. And so that's why in our culture we have so many phrases like believe in yourself. You can do anything you set your mind to. And again, lots of great stuff. Of course we want to teach people work hard. You can do more than probably you think you can. Of course we want our kids to grow up taking on tasks and and taking on big things and growing. And this all sounds wonderful when you're sailing through life and it's calm waters and you can control with the rudder of your life. You can control if you go this way or that way and the sun is shining bright. But when you get cancer, when your child dies, when your spouse leaves you, when you're in one of those storms, you realize there's a limit to these things where we say you can do anything you set your mind to. You realize I'm not really in control of my entire destiny. There are things I can control, but I don't ultimately have control of my entire destiny And you're in that storm and all those great sayings which work for certain parts of life don't work in those kind of moments. So I'm asking you this morning, what is your view of how life works, how the universe works? Do you believe in fate? Do you believe in horoscopes? Do you believe in the law of attraction? Where do your beliefs line up on this? It's a very, very practical question because when those storms come in your life, and they will surely come, your beliefs about how the universe works are either going to give you strength and hope and courage in the midst of that storm, or you're going to find those beliefs fail you, and you'll fall into discouragement and even despair. So this morning, what I want to do 
is to approach this whole question of how the universe works, how life works, so that we can go through the storm by looking at this very famous story, the story of Joseph. And what we discover in the story is one of the most critical ways to deal with all trials and suffering and storms that you face in your life. And what we're going to discover is that the universe is not ruled by fate or chance or anything. It's ruled by God. But not by an impersonal God who's way far and removed from it all, really powerful but removed. No, rather, a personal God who works in every part of our life from the big things down to the finest of the details. That this God is not only personal, but he is working all things with his invisible hand out to the ends that he wants to work them for. And we can find great hope, great strength, and great courage in this. For God's invisible hand, though often mysterious to us, is working, and when we can trust that and rest in that, it will carry us through the storm. So this morning I want to do three things. I want us to experience God's invisible hand by looking at the story of Joseph, by reflecting on our own stories. Then there's going to be all kinds of questions that come up in our minds, really big questions, and so we're going to seek to understand God's invisible hand as best we can. And then finally, we're going to learn how to trust God's invisible hand. So let's begin then with this first thing I want to talk about, which is just experiencing God's invisible hand. Experience it. Let's experience it through Joseph's story and through our our own stories. Joseph's story, his life really, began like many of ours. It had some really great moments. He had some moments of smooth sailing, but then a whole pile of storms came into his life. It seems like he had a pretty good childhood, but his parents, his father specifically, made one of the great errors, one of the great foolish things that many parents have done in history and still do today, when he showed favoritism to one child above all the others. And that favoritism was shown to Joseph above and beyond his other 11 brothers. And the the triggering moment, the thing that caused everything in our story to take to take place was when his father, showing favoritism, gave Joseph this really incredible coat of many colors. Maybe, you know, the Technicolor dream coat is what we call it nowadays. It's just a colorful coat, a really expensive coat, and he gave it to his favorite son. This provoked the other brothers to great jealousy. This jealousy then began to provoke them to do something, to create a conspiracy where when they were all away from their father's house one day, the brothers grabbed Joseph, they threw him into a pit, and then later sold him to some travelers going through, sold him as a slave to be taken to another country, to the country of Egypt. Now in modern times, you know what we call that? We call that human trafficking. Human trafficking for the purpose of forced labor. That's what happened to Joseph. He was a victim of human trafficking. Do you know what it means like Joseph to have a moment in life where things seem to be going well and then just everything fell apart? Do you know that kind of a moment? Do you know maybe what it's like to experience like Joseph did to face injustice at the hands of others that causes great pain and suffering in your own life? Well, that's what happened to Joseph, and Joseph was indeed taken to another country, to the country of Egypt, where he was made a slave in the house of Potiphar. So he got a pretty good assignment as far as slaves go, but he was not a free man, and he lived in Potiphar's house for up to 10 years. Potiphar was a rich man, and he served Potiphar during this entire time. 
Joseph, though, made the best of his situation, began to gain the favor of his master, began to rise within the house of Potiphar until one day Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, wanted to have an affair with him. Joseph, being a godly man, did not want to engage in this, so he refused Potiphar's wife, but then she turned around and accused him of sexual assault. When Potiphar himself heard about this, when he came in on this situation and heard what his wife said lying about what happened, he was enraged and he threw Joseph into prison. Here, Joseph did the right thing, did the God-honoring thing. And because he did the right and God-honoring thing, another storm came into his life and his life fell apart. How about you? Have you been in a moment where you did the right and God-honoring thing, and everything seemed to backfire on you, and your whole life fell apart? Well, now he's in prison. And being in prison, things even there, Joseph makes the best of things. Even within prison, though he's getting pretty low now, he begins to rise in the ranks of the prisoners and the guards. He's getting a good reputation. And there's an incredible series of events that happens where he enables another man to become a prisoner, to become free. And he says to that man, I've helped you out like this. Remember me to Pharaoh and help me to become free. And the man says, I will remember you. And so Joseph, I can imagine him sitting there that night thinking to himself, okay, the storm is almost over. He was 17 years old when his brothers sold him into slavery. If you do some of the math on what Genesis tells us, he is now, it's now 10 or 11 years later. He's 28 years old at this point. So he's sitting there thinking, I'm, I was 17, I'm now 28, I've been betrayed by my brothers. I have been the victim of human trafficking. I've lived 10 years as a slave. I've been falsely accused of sexual assault and I've been thrown in prison. But now this 11-year storm is almost over. I think he had a lot of hope in that moment. But then a day passed, and then another day, and then a week, and then a month passed, and then a few months, and then a year passed. Two years passed. The man had forgotten all about Joseph. And Joseph continued to rot in prison for two more years. Finally, At the age of around 30 years old, that man remembered Joseph. And really, through a tremendously incredible series of events, Joseph was set free, not only set free, but he was made second in command over the entire nation, second only to Pharaoh. Really, he functioned as a king with absolute power except towards Pharaoh. Joseph went from the prison to the throne home, basically, metaphorically anyways, with that kind of power and with that kind of authority. Joseph then was put in charge of overseeing a massive food storing and food distribution operation, which was meant to save the entire nation of Egypt and beyond from seven years of famine that was coming upon the land. And then, now we're finally getting to where our story is at here, the big moment happens. Joseph is there overseeing operations sitting in his great position of power, when brought before him one day is a group of middle-aged and older men. And these men come into his room and they bow down before him as you must do before someone of such great power like Joseph. And Joseph suddenly recognizes these men. These men are his own brothers, his brothers who had sold him into slavery, his brothers who had trafficked him to another country. He, these are the brothers who are responsible for absolutely everything that happened 
happened in his life. Their betrayal had ruined his life. So what will Joseph do? I mean, think about the, the chain of events that has happened here. Because of their jealousy, they betray him. Because of betrayal, he's thrown in a pit. Because of the pit, he's sold into slavery. The slavery leads to a false accusation of sexual assault, which leads to prison and all these terrible events that happen. But that also results in Joseph eventually being set free, being made second in command. He's now in a, quite a position of power. What will Joseph do? Well, you know what? The older you get, the more you obviously have life experience behind you, and you can look back over your life, and you can see how events have led to other events. Joseph, at this point, was around 40 years old. So he's got enough life behind him that he, began, he can trace kind of how events have led to others' events. And what we see here in our passage today is that through this, Joseph has gained a new perspective, He's gained a new understanding, something that enables him not to be angry with his brothers, not to seek revenge against them, and not to be cynical against God for all that has happened. And we see his perspective, and this is the perspective you and I need, when he reveals his identity to his brothers. They are absolutely shocked and terrified when they realize that the man they are kneeling before is none other than the one that they sold into slavery. And yet listen to what Joseph says. Here's the big text. He says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was not you who sent me here, but God. Now, we're going to have a lot more to say about this, all the questions that might be coming up in your mind right now, but Joseph's words are crystal clear. God is the ultimate one who is in control here. Despite all the other things that are going on, he's saying God's invisible hand has been working through all these events. Ultimately, it was God who sent me here, put me on this position of uh, authority and power in order to save your lives, the remnant of your family, and many, many other people in the nation of Egypt. It's God's invisible hand that is ultimately guiding all of this. So, that means something really big. We've got to just quickly apply this right now. What we learn right away is that there's hope for us when we are in storms. Because whatever happens in this world, we are not the victims of blind fate. We are rather characters within the story of God, beloved characters within the story of God. We do not live in an empty universe ruled by chance. Rather, we live in a universe that is ruled by God who directs and guides things according to his plan. The universe does not work on an impersonal law of attraction. Rather, it is run by a personal God who guides and directs all the little details of our lives. We are not alone in this universe so that we must shape and control our own destinies only to realize we're not that powerful. We really can only do so much. No, we live in a universe ruled by a God who not only shapes the destinies of nations and of history, but of, the, of our own personal lives as well. So right away, I want you to see here, no matter how dark the storm is, no matter how big the waves, no matter how much you feel like maybe the boat of your life is taking on water and you're struggling through this storm, we need to see right away that we are hidden 
within the invisible hand of God. We are hidden within the palm of his hand, and he will guide our lives. This is why James Stewart writes this. He says, there are no thorns so sharp that God's fingers cannot weave them into a crown of glory. No thorns so sharp that God's fingers cannot weave them into a crown of glory. And friends, it is this view of God's invisible hand and his total sovereignty over all things and this view alone that will grant you that ultimate hope, that strength, that support that you need when you're going through a storm. Now, let's think this through a little more like Joseph. The older Joseph got, the more he could trace He thought the invisible hand of God. In the moments, I'm sure in the pit, he was like, I don't even know what you're doing here, God. And that's how we often are as well. So often the hand of God is absolutely mysterious to us and we cannot trace it. But then with some histories, with some that kind of hindsight is 2020, it might not be 2020, but we begin to get a little clearer picture. We can look back and say, ah, I think I can see how the invisible hand of God has led me here. Joseph was able to do that at least by the time he turned 40 and he began to see how the seemingly small events in life, the seemingly insignificant events, moments in life, all trigger other events, which leads to the grand story and plan for each of our lives. Think of this just on the the simple and basic level. There is much that is mysterious to us on how God does this. But surely you can see this even in your own life. I think of my my life, for instance, and I I recall a night in my first year of my uh, Bible college when my roommate and I started talking, and he suggested that we actually switch Bible colleges when we go into our second year. It was a pretty quick conversation, and being 19, we didn't give it a whole lot of thought. We just decided we were going to do this for a few different reasons. Well, we did switch Bible colleges. That led me to meet someone named Karen, who was a friend of mine when I was in kindergarten. Karen had met this girl who I'd ever met named Heather. Heather then, of course, goes on to become my wife. Through our connections with Karen, I get a job at Trinity West University through some connections there, begin to serve and volunteer at a church in mission. A deacon in this church is named Stephen Pomeroy, and Stephen Pomeroy gets to know me a bit. He had grown up in a church in Vancouver called Dunbar Heights Baptist Church. When Dunbar Heights Baptist Church was looking for a new lead pastor, Stephen Pomeroy introduced me to them, basically got me the job. I went to Dunbar Heights Baptist Church for 13 years, and if I had not been at that church, I probably would not be standing here today as, as a pastor at Central Baptist Church. And all of those chain of events, back, going backwards, all was from a simple little conversation with a roommate in first year Bible college. Each event leads to another leads to another. And if you look back at your life, the older I get, I begin, you begin to be able to trace, okay, I see something. I think I do anyways. Could be wrong. I think I see how God's invisible hand led from this to this. Think through your own life, and I begin, you'll begin to see the invisible hand of God at work. Moments that you thought were so insignificant maybe turned out to be massive turning points in the story of your life so that when you look back and you see all the events, you see all the people, all the decisions, you can say like Joseph, oh, it was not you who sent me here, but God. So that's a little experience of the invisible hand of God in Joseph's story and just reflect on your own story and what that looks like, but we need to move quickly to the second thing now, really the heart of all of this, not the real, the, the practical side is really going to come out of this, but this is the heart that we really need to get, because I think at this point, a lot of questions come up. 
A lot of really important ones. And so if we don't answer these questions, we are not going to benefit from this great truth in the storms like Joseph did. So let's take a few minutes now on our second thing, which is understanding God's invisible hand. Understanding it, I probably should put an asterisk right here and say, as best as we can. Because there is a lot of mystery involved here, but we're going to do our best we can. So here's what happens. As soon as we start talking like I have in the last few minutes, a whole bunch of questions begin to arise in our minds. Really important questions. Questions like, if God really directs all things by his invisible hands and he really controls it, does that mean that God is the one who then brings evil into our lives? Bigger question even than that. What about human actions and responsibilities? If God's hand, his invisible hand, is what's leading everything and guiding everything so it works out for God's plans, doesn't that just make us into puppets? I mean, aren't people morally accountable for their actions? Is God just really like the hand of fate? Is that what his hand is like? So that we can't do anything? So why would God blame us then if we do anything wrong? Do our choices even mean anything? Very important questions that we need to wrestle with right now. And what I want from you, I want your full attention over these next few minutes because what we're going to work through right now is three truths that when you put them together should be able to really be one of the greatest ways you can get through all the storms in your life. What I'm about to talk about right now is some of the greatest truths that have sustained all the saints through history. When you read their biographies, when you read their sufferings, what we're going to talk about now is what sustained them. This idea of God's invisible hand, God's sovereignty over all things, this is what sustained them through the storms. And if we really get this, it will also save us from the storms. We have to be able to answer these questions so that we can get the courage and the strength that Joseph got in the storms. So here's how I want you to think of these three truths. I want you to think of them like juggling, okay? When someone's juggling and they're juggling objects, whatever those objects may be, you have to keep, let's say, at least three balls or three objects up in the air at once. And same thing with these three, these three truths. You cannot just throw one up and down, and that's the only one that you focus on. If you do that, the other two will make everything fall apart. You can't just juggle two of them. You have to juggle all three. So this is not just black and white thinking as in you just say, well, God controls all things, end of story. You need to be able to juggle three truths at once. So it requires a little bit of complexity in our thinking, but I think, Lord willing, by the time we're done this section, it'll be clear to you and you'll be able to juggle those three truths. Okay, so truth number one, bit of a recap from where we've already been, but here's the first thing. God decides what will come to pass. God decides what will come to pass. This is precisely what Joseph is saying. He's saying, despite the actions of my brothers, despite the actions of Potiphar's wife and others, he says, ultimately, God is in control over all of this. It was God who brought me here. God was not taken by surprise when suddenly Joseph's brothers threw him in the pit and sold him into slavery and God's up there going, whoa, 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 what just happened? I did not mean for that to happen. No, Somehow God is in control of this entire situation. That is why Joseph says, it was not you who sent me here to his brothers, but God. Everywhere, when you read the Bible, it teaches that God is utterly sovereign over all of history, over everything that happens from the, the greatest events and the most large ones to the smallest ones like a sparrow dying. 
One event leads to another. You probably heard the saying, the devil is in the details. It's probably true in some little parts, however you want to mean that. Even more accurate to say it's God who's in the details. So we could say this, in reality, God's invisible hand is not just directing the destiny of nations. It is directing the smallest and most seemingly random details of your life and my life. And never underestimate the power of little tiny events. Little tiny things set off chains of events that cause big things to take place. The smallest events can have major consequences because they create a domino effect for other things. It makes me think of the old folk tale about the nail that was put through the horseshoe into the horse's foot and the nail that fell out. And here's how this little rhyme goes. For want of a nail, so the nail fell out, for want of a nail, the shoe was lost. The horseshoe fell off the, the horse's hoof. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, a horse was lost. For want of a horse, a rider was lost. For want of a rider, the battle was lost. For want of the battle, a kingdom was lost. All for the want of a nail. One nail falls out of a horseshoe in a horse's hoof and it creates a chain of events which loses a battle, which loses a kingdom. It's the same with Joseph's life. That one seemingly insignificant moment when his father gave him the many-colored coat, that single event set in motion an entire lifetime of events. Because just track, where, what does that event lead to of his dad giving him this coat? If there'd been no coat, there would have been no great moment of jealousy amongst the brothers. No jealousy means no conspiracy against Joseph. No conspiracy means no throwing him into the pit. No throwing him into the pit means no selling him into slavery and trafficking him. No trafficking him means he doesn't go to Potiphar's house. No Potiphar's house means no Potiphar's wife. No Potiphar's wife means no accusations of sexual assault. No accusations of sexual assault means no prison, which means no getting out of prison, which means no becoming second in command to Pharaoh, which means also that Jacob and his 11 sons don't come down to Egypt, which means they don't become the nation of Israel. They don't get enslaved for 400 years, which means no Moses, no 10 plagues, no crossing the Red Sea, no becoming the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai with God, no promised land, no nation of Israel from which the Messiah will come. No Messiah means no cross, means no resurrection, means no salvation, and all because of a coat. Now you might say, God could have done it a different way. Of course he could have. But then it would have been the same thing. It would have been a different series of events. The fact remains, this was the series of events. And Joseph clearly says, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Somehow God's invisible hand mysteriously has worked through all of this, that all these events have led to other events so that God's plans have come to pass, not just for the nation of Egypt, not just for the seven years of famine, but for Israel, come, or for Jacob and his sons to come to Egypt, to become the nation of Israel, from which the Messiah will come, from which our salvation has come. So the first truth that you must, this, this is the big one, that you must be able to, to, get, to get through the storm is God's utter and complete sovereignty over all events, that God's invisible hand, though almost always totally mysterious to us, is guiding not just the destiny of nations, but every the details of our lives as well. 
But as soon as we start to put that ball in the air, we must not stop there. There is a second truth that we must quickly add, a second ball that we must start to juggle along with us one. We cannot let this, this other ball remain on the ground. It must be said and it must be said quickly. Here it is. God is not the author of evil. God is not the author of evil. In other words, somehow God does all of this with his invisible hand, but God is never the author of evil. It was not God literally who threw Joseph into the pit. God is not the one who is causing, directly causing these things to happen into Joseph's life. They are coming through the actions of his brothers. No, the scriptures everywhere teach that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He is not evil at all. And yet somehow these events, though not coming directly from his hand, must pass through his hand so that he will permit them in some way. A lot of this is mysterious to us, but we must say right away that God is not the author of evil. He does not cause out of his heart injustices to happen, abuses to happen. That is not the kind of God that he is. So we got to juggle those two up in the air. But then we got to quickly add a third one, and it is this, to say we are not puppets or robots, whatever language you want to use. Our actions matter, and we are held morally responsible for them. This is the third ball that you must juggle together with these other two. Notice that Joseph does not say, well, God caused all this to pass, guys, so you didn't, you really, it's not a big deal that you did all the things you did. No, no, look what he says in verse 5. He says, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. He clearly points out who is morally accountable for the actions of the things that happens in his life. But then notice right away, he says, for you sent me here, but for God sent me before you to preserve life. Here is Joseph. He's juggling, isn't he? You see what he's doing there? He's not just saying, God brought me here. Everything's fine. No, he's saying, God brought me here. You're responsible for your actions. You're the ones who did the evil, not God. You're morally responsible, but God's invisible hand is behind everything and rules over all things. He's upholding all the truths at once. And this is what we need to be doing as well. This is what we need to do in the storms. We can't so often, when I talk to people, they're only juggling one of these. So some people, for instance, will say, okay, they don't want God to be seen as the one who does the injustices and abuse, which is very important to say. So then they'll just say, it's all free human actions. That's how life works. But if God can't ever intervene or work through human actions because that would make us not free, then what does God actually work in? I mean, every single thing in your life is the result of either your actions or someone else's. So that just puts God out on the sidelines watching, saying, I hope they all make good decisions. But read the Bible. That's never the kind of God he is. Somehow our actions are, we're not puppets. We're morally accountable. And yet somehow God works in and through all this. It's mysterious to us, but we must uphold all these. We don't want to make it sound like God is just like fate, that just he causes it to come to pass and we're puppets and we just got to stand there, you know, he made me do it. We can't say that. We must be able to juggle all three of these truths to keep all three balls in the air at the same time. The best way, I think, to understand this, well, this story is one of the greatest to understand it. You can see it already. But just to make this really clear, and hopefully not just make it intellectually clear for you, but to bring it right down to the nitty-gritty, is to tell you one other story where this is even clearer than it is in the story of Joseph. And that is 
the story of Jesus' death. So I want you to think with me right now. Let me ask you a question, and I want you to answer it in your head or out loud if you're sitting with some people. Who put Jesus on the cross? Who put Jesus on the cross? Now be careful how you answer. Think it through a little bit. I worded that pretty carefully. Who put him on the cross? If you can clearly answer that question with all of its proper complexities and nuance, you will be equipped to go through the storms of your life, whatever they are. So this is, I'm not just trying to give a theology lesson. I'm not just trying to have, oh, let's think about some crazy, no. I want us to be practical. If you can answer who put Jesus on the cross with absolute clarity, you will understand how the universe works, how life works, and you will be equipped to go through the storms, whatever they may be. So let's think this through. Who put him on the cross? Was it Judas? What do you think? Answer should be yes. Yes, of course Judas is responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. It was Judas who betrayed Jesus, and Jesus himself says that Judas is morally accountable and the reason for this. So now do we just end there and say, it was Judas. That's the answer. No, you need a little more complexity in your thinking. Was it the crowds? The answer is yes. It was the crowds who called for Jesus to be crucified. How about the devil? Was the devil involved in this at all, behind the scenes somehow? Yes, the devil entered into Judas. So now we've got Judas, we've got some crowds, we've got somehow evil spiritual powers working through them. So already we're seeing, wow, okay, so this is, this is more complex than I thought, uh, but it's not just a simple answer, so let's keep thinking it through. Was it Pilate? Yes, of course it was Pilate. This was a government-sponsored act of violence against Jesus. It was Pilate who handed him over to be crucified. So you could say Pilate put Jesus on the cross. How about the soldiers themselves? Of course, again, the answer is yes. They're the ones who literally put the nails through his wrists and through his feet. They put Jesus on the cross. God did not do that. The, the, the soldiers hammered the nails through his hands, or through his wrists, and through his feet. So if we said, who's morally responsible for the death, for the murder of Jesus? The answer would be everyone we just listed. Were they puppets or robots who got forced into doing this? Absolutely not. They acted of their own free actions, and they're morally responsible for their actions. So we could say all of them put Jesus on the cross and those would be correct and right answers. And yet if you read on in the Bible, the Bible is very clear that the ultimate answer, though these are all true, is that it was God himself who put Jesus on the cross. Not morally responsible for the murder, but it is the invisible hand of God that lined up all events for this was a plan before the foundation of the world that the Son would come and do this. Jesus willingly took up this plan to go to the cross. We could say it was God himself through his invisible hand working out all events to lead Jesus to the cross. Listen to the scriptures clearly. Here's one of the most important. In Acts 2.23, Peter says to the people in Jerusalem that this Jesus delivered up according to what? The definite plan 
and foreknowledge of God. Jesus was delivered up to the people according to God's definite plan that he saw from the beginning of the world that he planned, and because he wanted it to happen, it happened. That's why he was delivered up. And then notice right away, you crucified. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Do you see it? Juggling, holding up all these truths at once. You cannot just say, God did it, because God is not morally responsible for the murder of Jesus. Clearly, Peter's saying, who's morally responsible? The people he's talking to. You crucified, you killed. You weren't puppets, you're held responsible. Is that mysterious to you? It's mysterious to me. I don't understand how it works, but we must uphold all three of these truths at least at once. Human responsibility, God's sovereignty, and God is not the author of evil. If that's not clear enough, a couple chapters later in Acts, they're praying to God, and they pray these words in Acts 4. In this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, some of the people responsible for the death of Jesus, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Here's all the people we talked about responsible Now, notice the switch, without even a breath, without even a period, to do whatever your hand, O God, and your plan had predestined to take place. You see it? We cannot be simplistic in our thinking on this. We must be able to think on these different levels. You must uphold all three truths at once. God is never the author of evil. God never delights in injustice or abuses or anything like that. Not the author of evil. Human beings are not puppets. Our actions, we are morally responsible for actions. God does not force us to ever do anything. Did not force them in that moment to do that. And yet somehow, here's the big key to it all. On top of it all, through it all, underneath it all, is the total sovereignty of God. That his invisible hand is somehow working through all of this to accomplish exactly what he wants to accomplish. Joseph had come to see this. We must come to see this. That even when it seems like maybe evil is dominating in life or in our own lives, no. God is the ultimate master of the situation. And when we see correctly, either in heaven or maybe even later in our lives, we will all say with Joseph, It was not you who sent me here, though you're responsible for your actions. It was not you who sent me here, but God. So I hope those truths get into you. I hope, yeah, you you dig into that because these are the truths that sustain you as you go through the storm. So let's try to bring all that together now. And let's reflect on all this as we talk in the final place about trusting God's invisible hand. Now that we've got some of that good theology in us. We've seen it. What difference does this make for us now? This is what we need in the storms. This is what got Joseph through the storms. This is what got Jesus through the storm of his life and the cross. For Jesus knew it was true suffering. It was true difficulty that he was going through. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's just completely broken down. What was his great secret though? He trusted his father. He knew that his father had sent him on a mission. He knew it meant going through the hardest of all storms. And yet Jesus trusted that his father's hand would bring him through safely to the other side despite all the actions of people. So like Joseph, like Jesus, this is what we also need to get through the storms in our lives. Be encouraged. Your life is not happening by chance. There is no chance 
in a universe ruled by God. Your, your life is not controlled by stars and by planets. Listen, Christians should never read horoscopes in order to seek direction for their lives. For that would be to trust in the planets and alignments of their moons and the stars rather than trusting in the creator who made the planets, the moons, and the stars. Furthermore, your life is not dictated by an impersonal force called fate. No, it is bound by the loving hands of God who intimately is involved in his creation. Your life is not even controlled by evil spiritual powers or whatever those powers may be. We must never mistake true Christian thinking with yin and yang type thinking as if God is powerful, Satan is powerful, they're in some great war to try to win the universe and it's a great fight and who knows who's going to win. No, it's not a yin and a yang universe. There is only one God, the creator almighty, and everything else is a created being. There's an infinite chasm between God and all created things, including the devil himself. And though the devil is extremely powerful compared to us, he is nothing more than a pawn on God's chessboard. So we need not ever worry about these other things of fate, of, of evil powers, of chance being the things that rule. That's not the way the Bible says the universe works. Rather, what we can do is rest. Rest in the almighty hand of God who has the power to accomplish his purposes. Just realize that power. I mean, the God who created the hundred billion stars in our own galaxy. I mean, can you comprehend that? Try to comprehend the billions of galaxies in the universe that we know about. I can't do that. When I try to comprehend it, my mind just breaks at a certain point. It's just too great for my mind. I, maybe your mind can go a lot farther. Mine just breaks. But then I sit back and I go, this, all this power, all this immensity, all this universe, the whole universe is nothing more than a marble in God's living room. And God is the one who created it all. So if he can do all that, then surely he can direct my life, lead me through the storms. But here's the big key as well. The God who is doing all this is the God who when you come to him in Christ, when you are become part of his family, this is the God who, listen, is with you and for you. It's one thing to talk about a God who's sovereign and powerful over all things. That's great. But is that God for you? And the amazing message of the Bible is that God is for you. How can you know that he's for you? As Romans 8 talks about, God is for you because he did not spare his own son. He gave up his son for you. And if he would do that for you, that's the ultimate proof of his love, then will he not also graciously give you all the things that you need in life? So if you're in those moments where maybe like Jacob in the prison or in the pit, you feel like God's abandoned you, you've got to cling to this truth he is not. Take courage in the story of Joseph. Take courage in the story of Christ. That the invisible hand of God, though mysterious to us almost all the time, is leading us, is guiding us, and will bring us finally home. This is what will transform you in the storms. This is what will give you courage in those storms. So often in life, we'll go through a storm and God's invisible hand will bring us out into calmer waters. Then maybe another storm. And then, of course, though, there are times when all of our lives, some people, their whole life is a storm. And it's like they're in this dark cloud the whole time, lightning and wind and the waves even if that's the case, even in this whole life, God never gives you smooth sailing and bright skies. Listen, 
A day is coming and will surely come for you, like it did for May Miller, for Joyce Danielson, for others in our church family in the last few weeks, when suddenly you will break out of that storm. And all of a sudden, the waters will be calm. The sun will be bright, and you'll feel your little boat suddenly move up onto the sandy shores of the beach of heaven. And Jesus himself will be there, offering his hand to let you out of the boat to walk onto the shores of heaven itself. And listen, just one look, one glance at heaven and all that lies before you, just one look into Jesus' eyes, And you will turn around and you will look at the storm that you've come through and all the terrible events and difficulties and you'll suddenly see that all those events led you to stand on that beach with Jesus leading you into eternity and you will say to that storm, it was not you who led me here, but God. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to understand these truths. Help us to trust your invisible hand. For Father, we say many times we do not understand. We cannot understand why you allow certain things, why you guide us. But Father, we trust that you are good because you gave us your Son. We trust you are for us, not against us, because you gave us your Son. And so Father, help us to trust in the middle of the storms that your invisible hand truly will lead us through the storm and eventually safely to the shores of heaven. Help us to do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.